continue our study in Luke's gospel this morning in a series entitled Summer Sojourn as we talk about faith as a progression, faith as a journey. In Luke, Jesus is on a journey that will ultimately lead him to the cross. But after that, glory, resurrection, the kingdom of God. And friends, we are invited to follow Jesus, but every traveler be warned. This is a journey that will change you. It's going to be beautiful, adventurous, filled with ups and downs, but there are times when this journey is going to be hard. When Jesus returns to Galilee, everything is going well. He's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He's teaching in the synagogues, and everyone is speaking well of him. They're impressed with him. Reports about Jesus are starting to spread throughout the country. But then he comes back home to Nazareth. And what a welcome he gets. I used to work with college students, and I've heard dozens of instances of when a freshman goes home for the first time, usually around Thanksgiving, and some kind of drama erupts. Perhaps you know the kind of story that I'm talking about. Everything starts off cordial. People are eating their turkey and their mashed potatoes. Then something is said that triggers chaos. Usually it's said by the newly educated college student who has wisely learned something in their first few weeks of college, and so they say something politically charged, and mom and dad go off the handle. Perhaps you know this kind of story. Of course, most of these stories do not involve attempted murder. Most of them. Jesus' hometown visit doesn't end great. When your neighbors try to kill you, that is usually a bad sign. (laughs) But no prophet is accepted in their hometown, Jesus says. And in Luke's gospel, in addition to being the Savior and the Son of God, Jesus is also depicted as a prophet who speaks for God. And as a prophet... Jesus will be rejected, just like the prophets of old. And when he comes home, things seem to start off well. But why did it take such a violent turn? What did Jesus say that triggered everybody? The scene begins with Jesus in the synagogue, and it's Sabbath day. This is something that he would do as his custom, go to the Sabbath. And he stands up to read from Isaiah saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery to the sight of the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Scholars call this scene in Luke the Lucan Manifesto. It is a big deal. This is the thesis of the entire book, a summary of what Jesus' ministry is all about. 
This is the very heart of God. And as you study Luke, you can see Jesus do all of these things as a part of his mission. He cares for the poor. He's going to preach economic justice and generosity. He brings release to those who have been held captive by disease or evil spirit. He's going to heal the blind. He's going to proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus spends his ministry teaching about the kingdom and then showing what it is to live out the principles of the kingdom. That's what kingdom work looks like, teaching about the kingdom of God with tangible acts of love and care. Interesting, some some churches say all we should do is evangelize and teach. Other churches say all we should do is advocacy work and social justice and that kind of thing. Here at Mountain View, we say we need to do both because that's what Jesus did, preaching and acts of love. Engaging in the work of social justice is one of the most exciting parts about being in the church. When you belong to a church, you can be a part of something bigger than yourself and you can have an impact greater than what you ever could do on your own. Like building a health clinic in Senegal or replacing the roof of a church in the Dominican Republic with what color is hope, or building homes in Mexico. There are churches in places like Chicago that are out on the streets trying to prevent gun and gang violence. Many churches are trying to fight sex trafficking. Other churches are trying to feed and care for the homeless. We do acts of justice and love because that's the heart and the mission of God. Good news to the poor. Release to those held captive. Healing and hope. And he continues to do this kingdom work through the church. Through you. Through us. When Jesus reads Isaiah and sits down and says, Today this has been fulfilled in your presence. At first everything seems fine. People seem amazed. But then slowly they say, isn't this Joseph's son? But Jesus knows what's going on inside of their hearts. As you read Luke's gospel, Jesus is often depicted as knowing what people are thinking. He knows that they want to taunt him with this parable, but before they can say it to him, he says it to them. Doubtless you will quote to me this parable, Dr. Cure yourself. And you will say to me, do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard you do in Capernaum. They heard Jesus did something powerful in Capernaum and they are skeptical. We know you, Jesus. You grew up around here. They want to say, doctor, cure yourself. Jesus is claiming to have this power. The Spirit is upon him, and he's going to help the poor, the blind, the least of these, the captured. 
And they want to say, Jesus, we know you, and you should probably tend to your own issues first. The proverb, doctor, cure yourself, is a taunt. It's a taunt that foreshadows another taunt that'll come in Luke 23 by the religious leaders as Jesus hangs from the cross. They will say to him, he saved others. Let him come down from that cross and save himself. Doctor, cure yourself. Show us your power that you claim to have. So Jesus tells them, prophets are not with honor in their hometown. Prophets will be rejected in their hometown. And then he says something that sends them into an absolute frenzy. He tells them two Old Testament stories that they would know well. A time when the prophet Elijah helped out a widow, and a time when the prophet Elisha healed Naaman from leprosy. Now you might think, well, these stories seem fine. But the widow and Naaman are foreigners. These are stories about when people in Israel were struggling, having a hard time, and instead of them getting rescued, it's the outsiders who get the help. Jesus' hometown is going crazy because Jesus is saying the time for restoration is now, and guess what? God's salvation is for Gentiles too. The town is mad because God is rescuing the wrong people. They have been anxiously awaiting for a time when God would restore them and remove their Roman overlords and captors. And what Jesus is saying was not what they wanted to hear. And you know how I could tell? Because they wanted to throw him off a cliff. Now, you got to picture the frenzy of this mob that is literally driving Jesus out of the synagogue. They are driving Jesus out of the edge of the town, all the way up to the brow of the hill, so they could hurl him off the cliff. They're filled with fury and anger, all because they were longing and aching and praying for their restoration. And Jesus comes on scene. He says, now is the time, everybody, but it's not what you thought. It's a different plan. And it drives them mad with rage. I imagine them yelling and screaming as they push Jesus and march him to the edge of the cliff. In the back of my head, prophets are not received in their hometown. It's easy to look at this story and condemn the people of Jesus' hometown. Like the crowd that'll later shout, crucify him, crucify him, we know that the angry mob isn't always a good thing. They react with vicious impulsivity. No conversation. 
no debate, just rage, because they don't want God's plan according to Jesus. Jesus spoke truth to the crowd, and they wanted no part of it. Close your eyes. Can you see yourself in this crowd? You can open your eyes. When God speaks to you and says something that you might not want to hear, what then? In the church, we assume that when Jesus speaks to us, it always involves rainbows and cupcakes, and it's pretty and friendly and flowery, just the good stuff, right? But sometimes God speaks, and it's the hard stuff, the stuff we don't want to hear, something that's not according to our plan. What then? I think Jesus was clearly speaking in the 18th century of America in a movement known as abolitionism. God was speaking to our country saying, friends, the time of slavery is over. Release the captives. Half the country didn't want to hear that message. For many people, that message was simply thrown off the cliff which led to the Civil War and the deaths of over 600,000 Americans. When Jesus says, I've come to set captives free, that means change, especially for the one who is holding down the captive. Sometimes God speaks, and it's not the message you want to hear, at least at first. For a number of years, my older brother wanted to be a paramedic. It was the dream that he had since he was a high school student. He took classes, did ride-alongs. He even became an EMT and worked for an ambulance. But he also had a rare eye condition that caused poor eyesight. You can't be a paramedic with poor eyesight. He prayed. He went to specialist after specialist. He investigated experimental treatment. He literally tried everything. He was talented. He's smart, strong, caring. He would have been a fantastic paramedic if you were injured or sick. He's the kind of person you would want to show up. that wasn't God's plan for his life. And that was hard for him. As sometimes the word of God comes as conviction. Maybe God is making it clear that something in your life needs to change. An addiction needs to stop. An unhealthy relationship needs to change. A way you've been acting or treating people needs to change. When God says, stop, 
Can we listen? When I was working for one of the colleges, I had two co-workers who were also my friends. Both of these guys were married, and both of them had very serious drinking problems. The word of God came to both of them, either through friends or through family, or perhaps their doctor saying, if you don't change something, you're going to kill yourself. It's destroying you, it's destroying your family. One of those friends heard that message. He started going to AA, he quit drinking, and with help and support and treatment, he changed his life, saved his marriage, and perhaps saved his own life. My other friend did not stop drinking. He didn't want to. He didn't try to, and his wife ended up leaving. The voice of God might not be what you want to hear, but the words of God are the words of life. So listen up. Often it means making changes and getting help. Sometimes the word of God comes to us as an objective or a task. You know God wants you to help that person out, but you really don't want to do it. You know that feeling I'm talking about? When God's calling you to do something and it's hard or inconvenient? Following God, although not always convenient, is rewarding Because when we follow God, when we love others, we are fulfilling our human destiny. We are stepping into being the kinds of people that God designed us to be. When we love, when we obey, we are being fully human, as Jesus was. And sometimes the word of God comes as truth that we cannot seem to believe. That word might be that you are loved, you're forgiven, you have gifts and abilities and talents, and you are a part of God's family. And I can tell you as a pastor, some people have a hard time hearing that word as well. They don't want to believe it. They think they don't have any gifts. They don't think they're lovable. They don't think they've been forgiven. We have to hear the word of God and believe the word of God. When God speaks, friends, will you listen? Even when it's hard. Even when it's not what you want to hear. That's what surrender is all about. So let's keep our hearts soft. When Jesus speaks, let us patiently listen and follow where he leads because we know our God is good. Let's pray. God, we know that we can trust you. God, that when you call us to do something, when you call us to make a change, when you call us 
into relationships. You're doing it because you are good and you have a good plan for our lives, even when it's not our own plan. So I pray today, God, that you would soften our hearts. Humble us, Lord, that we might hear you, obey your call, to believe you, to trust you, even when it's hard and inconvenient. This is what discipleship and transformation is all about. God, I pray that you would help us to take our faith seriously, to take the call that you have on our lives seriously because you are good. And we thank you, Lord, that you loved us first in grace. And God, as we prepare for our tithes and offerings, we give them as an act of worship. Pray that you would use it to glorify yourself and to grow your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.